Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. There was a young couple who moved into a house and, uh, and every morning from the first morning they kind of got there, the wife would get up, she'd go into the kitchen, she'd look out the kitchen window uh, into her neighbor's backyard and she noticed that her neighbor constantly hung out dirty washing on the line. This happened every morning that she'd go to the kitchen and look out the window and, and there would be her neighbor hanging out washing on the line and every morning there'd be this conversation over breakfast with her husband. I, I can't believe what my neighbor's doing. She's hanging out dirty washing. Does she not own a washing machine? Does she use that cheap kind of detergent? Like, like does she not realize? Does she, she's putting out dirty washing every morning and so day after day after day, week after week, this conversation would happen over breakfast. The wife complaining to her husband about the neighbor who was hanging out the dirty washing. Well, after a few weeks, one morning, she got up and she looked out her window at her neighbor's line of, of washing that was being hung out. And she said, it's a miracle. I mean, she's finally worked it out. Her washing is clean. I mean, maybe, she, maybe someone bought her a washing machine. Like maybe she's changed detergent. You know, there's some of those cheap, nasty detergents. Clearly, she's worked it out. Finally, she's got clean clothes being hung out on her line. Well, her, her husband sort of looked at her a bit sheepishly and started to giggle. And so she said, well, what, what are you doing? He said, well, well honey, I... I got up really early this morning and I, I washed our windows. It was almost a clap. It's not quite a clap. It was almost one. How many people know? How many people know? What you see says a great deal more about you than what's actually happening. In 2 Kings chapter 6. The Bible tells this story of Elisha and his servant. And the king of Aram is trying to attack the Israelites. And every time he goes to plan an attack, it's foiled in some way to the point where the king of Aram says that there's got to be somebody who's a, who's a traitor, who's in our midst, who's giving this information to the king of Israel because, because how else is he foiling these plans? And his captains, his, his generals report back to him. They say, no, no, it's not a traitor in our midst. They have a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha, and the reason why he knows what you're doing is because God speaks to him. And so the king of Aram thinks, I'm going to go and sort this out. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to pick up the story in verse 14. The king of Aram decides he's going to sort this prophet out once and for all. Verse 14, therefore he, talking about the king of Aram, sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, talking to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Listen to this, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. J. Oswald Sanders said, said this, eyes that look are common, eyes that see are rare. I want to speak to us this morning from this subject, the power of perspective, the power of of perspective. How many people know that your perspectives, your perspective says a whole lot more about what's going on inside of you than even necessarily what's going on around you? 
That, that here in, in the middle of this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, that, that the young servant of the, of the prophet goes out and when he goes out, he has a look. He goes out and he has a look and what he can see is the king of Aram's amassed this army standing there on the mountain ready to be able to attack him and the prophet and all of a sudden he's afraid. He's full of fear and he wants to run and so he goes to Elisha. He says, Elisha, what are we going to do? His immediate instinct having seen, just gone out and just had a look is that he wants to be able to run and Elisha goes out and Elisha, he doesn't just have a look, he sees. He sees with the perspective of God. He sees what can't yet be seen. And so he counsels the young servant. He says to the servant, hey, don't be afraid. And then he prays and says, God, help him to be able to see what you can see. Lord, help him to be able to see what it is you've allowed me to be able to see. And all of a sudden, the young servant, he looks up. He had a look the first time. Now all of a sudden, he's not looking. He can see. And he sees, yeah, there's the king of Aram and he's got a few horses and chariots. But there standing around Elisha and the young servant is the army and the hosts of heaven. And they don't just have normal chariots and normal horses. Their ones are on fire. It's one thing to have a look. It's another thing to be able to see. And so for this morning, what I want to try and do is begin to encourage us not just to have a look at what's going on in our own lives, not just to have a look at our own selves, not just to have a look at the church. The worst thing you can do is have a look. How much better to be able to, with a bit of a prophetic insight, begin to be able to see. And so I want to speak to us this morning on this, the power of perspective. Your perspective says a whole lot more about you than about the circumstances. I wonder, why is it that, that Elisha could see the army of God and the servant couldn't? At least initially anyway. I wonder if the reason is is because if your heart is filled with fear, if your heart is filled with anxiety, if, you, if your heart is, is burdened with negativity, if, if you're always fearing the worst rather than believing the best, if, if your perspective is always doom and gloom, I wonder if it's impossible with that in your heart to be able to see the opportunities or, or even the way forward. That in the midst of those circumstances that you and I need to have a heavenly perspective we need to be able to see what God can see but we say things like well from where I stand which is really a comment on where we've positioned ourselves well you know from my point of view well I'm really interested in people's point of view because in people's point of view what they're really doing is they're declaring with their mouth a GPS location for where they've positioned themselves Your perspective is so important. The perspective of the servant when he just had a look was to be able to run. The perspective of Elisha who could see far more because God had enabled him to be able to do that was not to run but to stay. Those two decisions were markedly different. To run or to stay was simply a matter of having a prophetic perspective. Stephen Covey wrote this in his book, We do not see things as they are, we see things as... We are. And so our perspective's important and it says a great deal about us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, what's your perspective? How do you see yourself? How do you see your marriage? How do you see your future? How do you see things? Because your perspective will inform and determine your effectiveness. 
Our perspective can be coloured, can't it? Our perspective can be coloured. Remember as, as kids playing craft and one of the things you do is, is make cellophane goggles. Remember doing things like that, right, kids? And you put the red cellophane over, over the glasses and when you look through, everything looks red, right? Because your perspective can be coloured. And that's true for kids playing with cellophane, but it can also be true for us even in our own lives with our own experiences. It's amazing how past experiences can have a way of colouring our perspective. And so your parents' divorce can, can colour your own view of relationships. Your past failures can, can colour your view of future opportunities. And so you avoid them. Because the last time you tried that, you failed. And so you don't want to feel those same feelings of humiliation again. And so every time a new opportunity comes along, you sort of shudder away from it. But because you're seeing through a lens that's coloured. People can let the words of a critic colour their view of themselves. Because somebody said that you're useless or, or hopeless or they sacked you from a job or they made you redundant and now you see yourself through the words of those critics. Even though that critic might be long out of your life, their words still kind of resonate in your own heart because you've allowed the words of a critic to begin to colour your view. But we talk about having rose-coloured glasses, don't we? You know the romance of having rose-coloured glasses? Did you know that the dream of a wedding day for, for a wife the dream of a wedding day and, and the, the beautiful dress and the music and the ceremony and all of your friends think the guy's a complete jerk, but you can't see it because you've got rose-colored glasses. What is that? That's having a colored perspective. Advertising does this, doesn't it? Advertising colors our view of what we already have. Jonathan and I have started looking at, at the ads that come on TV and, and then in between the ads, having a discussion about what, what are those ads trying to get us to do? There was one that came on recently for Freedom Sale, and it was people relaxing on couches in forests and in living rooms and strange places. The ads, I feel like, are getting more weird with time, right? And so I said to, I said to Jonathan, I think, what are they trying to sell us? He said, oh, I think they're trying to sell us, like, couches. I said, Johnny, we've already got a couch, don't we? And Johnny's like, yeah, we've, we've already got a couch. But why? Because advertising tries to color our view of what we already have. That's why so many people are discontent with what they have. Because marketing is very good at getting us to have a colored view of what we already have. Sometimes our view can be colored. Sometimes our view can be one-dimensional. That our perspective can certainly be colored in some way, but it can also become one-dimensional. But we struggle to be effective because we see things only from one point of view. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 17 says this, the first one to plead his case appears right. I've got two children, Jonathan, who's eight, Sophie, who's almost, she'll be four on Thursday. The same day Alpha starts, Sophie's turning four. I've got two kids. I've worked out that I can't smack either of them until I've spoken to both of them. Because the first one who pleads their case seems like they're right. But then you hear the other side of the story and you think, oh, it doesn't seem quite the same way that it was recalled by the other child, Right? And Proverbs says a man who pleads his case first appears right. And sometimes our view can be one-dimensional. And so we see things only from one side. We can do this in church. But we can do this when it comes to things like even what Shirley shared about, shared about this morning when it comes to giving. But for some people, they've got a one-dimensional view when it comes to giving. It's all about sowing. And it's all about sacrifice. And it's all about giving. And so, you know, it's, it, that's, that's our responsibility. That's what we need to do in obedience. And so we need to sow and we need to be able to do that and we need to be able to do it sacrificially and it's about giving. 
For some people, that's, that's their view, but they never have an eye to be able to sow and then also to be able to reap. There's both of those things. Other people, their, their focus is only on the reaping part. Like, when's God going to bless me? And, and when's God going to be able to, you know, like, when, when, when am I going to get what, what's due to me? But, but they've never taken the time to be able to sow. There's sowing and there's reaping. If I'm faithful in sowing, then it's, it's good for me to have an expectation that also I'll be faithful in reaping. But, but it's impossible for me to have a, a concept of being able to reap if I've never sown for that harvest. That would be as crazy as the farmer who doesn't put any seed in the soil, who looks out at the crops and says, there's nothing growing. God blesses all the other farmers. They've all got crops. I've got nothing. That's because you put nothing in the ground for God to bless. Sometimes our perspective can just be one-dimensional. But we can do this in church this way, right? The church is an army. It needs structure and it needs order and it needs authority. And that's true. The church does need that. But the church is also a family where we accept one another and we bear one another's burdens and we care for one another. And so if you just see the church as an army, then there'll be a level of ineffectiveness for the church because you're also not caring for people or accepting people or bearing one another's burdens. Or By the same token, if the church is just a family and we just love each other and just whatever happens, happens, and this is how things then you'll also not be effective because the church does need structure and it does need authority and it does need strategy and it does need order. It's not one or the other, it's both. In fact, you could throw a third thing in there. It's also a hospital. So sometimes our view can be colored, that's true. Sometimes our perspective can be one-dimensional. Sometimes our perspective can be discriminatory. Isn't it amazing how when you start looking for a new car, how you start seeing that car, the make and the model, everywhere, right? I remember when we first started looking for seven-seater cars, at least really felt like we should buy a seven-seater car, felt like God had spoken to her about it, and so we started looking at a couple of different versions of cars, and I was amazed, because we, we sort of decided on a Toyota Kluger or a, or a Prado. I was amazed at how many of those cars there were on the Sunshine Coast. It's like everybody the exact same week had decided to go out and buy a Kluger or a Prado. They were just literally everywhere. It's amazing how we do that. I remember a couple of years ago, we went down to Malulaba and uh, there was a couple that were down there with a little Cairn Terrier dog. And, um, and the kids sort of ran over and started playing with this dog and the people were really calm. We ended up spending an hour with them and whatever. And then as we got into the car, I knew it was about to happen. As soon as we got into the car, Ali said, do you think we should get a dog? Just loud enough for the kids to hear. We're like, oh, please, please, Dad, we have to get a dog. We have to. And I was like, guys, where are we going to put a dog? Where on earth will we put a dog in our house? But do you know what? For the next number of months, we saw canned terriers everywhere. It was like they'd gone to a breeding frenzy and they were everywhere on the Sunshine Coast. And every time Elise or the kids would see a dog, they'd be like, oh, please, can we have a dog? It's amazing how our perspective can, can be coloured sometimes. Sometimes our perspective becomes one-dimensional, but sometimes it becomes a bit discriminatory in this. It wasn't like there was more Cairn Terriers on the Sunshine Coast than there was before, or that there was more Prados or Klugers than there were before. What it was is that, is that I was prepared to see them. You don't see what is, you see what you're prepared to be able to see. Some people become ineffective because they only see what it is they want to see. And so they go into a new workplace expecting for it to be like the last one. 
Or they go into a new opportunity, but looking like it's going to look like their last experience. And so as a result, they they tend to become self-fulfilling prophecies because they end up seeing the things that they expected to see. And sure, those things were probably there, but there was probably a whole host of other things that they didn't see either. And that can work in the positive, and that can also work in the negative because the truth is when it comes to our perspective, we see what we're prepared to be able to see. I remember, um, this is not that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, sitting down with a pastor who was in his 70s and feeling cool to, to lead a church, but, but also um, having those conversations about what kind of church would that be like? And I remember saying to this guy who was really good, I said, is it just inevitable that all senior pastors end up becoming jerks? And he kind of laughed. And I said, because if that's true, I don't really want to be one of those. I really like my kids to like me. He kind of laughed, right, which was, which was an unnerving response. But what he, what he pointed out is that actually we see what we're prepared to be able to see. Sometimes it's that our perspective is coloured. Sometimes it's that our perspective is one-dimensional. Sometimes it's our perspective is discriminatory. We only see what we're prepared to see. Sometimes it's that our perspective is obscured. You, you know, in terms of the volume of this room... My hand is really quite small. But depending on where I place my hand can have a really big bearing on my perspective. Because out here, my hand is really not doing much to change my perspective. But right here, now all of a sudden it looks like our church has diminished terribly. There's no one in church today. Right? My hand is small, but depending on where I place it in importance, totally alters and obscures my perspective. Have you ever gone to bed at night and thought, I'm not going to think about that thing? I'm not going to think about that thing. I'm not going to think about that thing. Heck, I'm thinking about that thing. Have you noticed the things that you focus your attention on become bigger? They become bigger because they become more prioritized in your focus. We're talking about the power of perspective, right? Elisha prays that his servant would see what God can see Because in the matter of his own perspective, the servant wants to be able to run. But if he can see what God sees, he won't want to run. He'll want to stay exactly where he is. And so our our perspective can be obscured. It can be obscured by past experience. It can be obscured by offense. It can be obscured by all different kinds of things, by the kinds of things we give our attention to. Our perspective can be colored, it can be one-dimensional, it can be discriminatory, it can be obscured. Our perspective can be blinded. If you want to know what water's like, they say, don't ask a fish. Why? Because all the fish knows is water. And so it doesn't know any perspective other than water. And so don't ask the fish what water is like, that's all that it knows. And the truth is for you and I, in our own perspective, that we can have blind spots. Here's the, here's the point. If you and I want to be able to change our life, then that actually begins by changing our perspective. That Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened, that he would have a new perspective, that he would have a heavenly view. And my encouragement to you and I this morning is not simply to look, but to begin to see. Don't just look at your life. Don't just look at your future. Don't just look at your spouse, don't just look 
at the opportunities that are in front of you, begin to see what God has in store. Begin to lift your eyes and see what God can see. Throughout the Bible, there are constantly these moments that are like this, where God comes to a person and encourages them, don't just have a look, begin to be able to see. That the prophetic isn't for us to be able to shonda Honda Kawasaki. The prophetic is for us to be able to see what God can see. In Genesis chapter 13, God comes to Abraham and he encourages him to lift up his eyes and see. Why? Because Abraham in Genesis chapter 13 is looking down. He's just had a falling out with his nephew. His nephew's gone separate ways. This is what the scripture says in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. God comes to Abraham in a moment when he's dejected and he says to him, Abraham, lift up your eyes and see. Don't just have a look. Look to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. Come on, I want you to lift your eyes. Don't just look. I want you to be able to see. That was important for Abram because he didn't have any kids yet. That was important for him. He didn't have any kids yet. Because God's trying to help him to see, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But if Abraham just looked at his circumstances, he'd say, oh, you're going to make me the father of many nations. I'm 100 years old. I don't have any kids. And if he just looked at his circumstances, he would have totally dismissed the plan of God. But if he would look with a heavenly perspective, he'd be able to see what God was up to. And so God comes to Abraham and encourages him to be able to lift his eyes. Think about when, when Saul, who later becomes Paul and writes two-thirds of the New Testament, when he has his encounter with Jesus, that the Bible says it's something like scales falls from his eyes, right? Acts chapter 9 and verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. Your perspective is incredibly important. It's little wonder that Paul in the book of Ephesians writes to the church and he encourages, this is his prayer for the church, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart, notice that, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's little wonder that Paul prayed, I pray that your eyes would be open. Don't just have a look, see. And people say things like, you need to have a good hard look at yourself. Don't do that. Don't look at yourself. I could be cheeky right now, but I'm not going to. Right? Don't look, see. Begin to see what God can see. Begin to look with a heavenly perspective. I wonder if not much of preaching is actually about helping us to be able to see. And here's the point. This is where I'm going with this. Here's the point. Because what you see is what you say. And what you say is what you sow. And what you sow is what you reap. You can take this to the bank. This works in every area of life. That what you see is ultimately what you end up saying. And what you say, what repeatedly starts coming out of your mouth is what you end up sowing. And then it's amazing that what you say and what you sow eventually becomes something that you reap in your own life. 
That's why your perspective is so important. That's why you and I ought to be a prophetic people. We ought to be the kind of people who don't just have a look at the circumstances. No, we begin to see what God can see. In fact, we pray just like Elisha did. God, I pray that his eyes would be open. One of the things that I pray, God, help me to see what you can see. God, help me to be able to have your perspective when it comes to decision making, when it comes to people. God, help me to see what you can see. Because if I can see with a heavenly perspective, it'll totally change Everything else I do. Because what you see is what you say, and what you say is what you sow, and what you sow is what you reap. Jesus said, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That, That if you listen to people and what comes out of their mouth, it's like a GPS honing device that gives you an idea of where they've positioned themselves, where where you're positioning yourself. What's the confession that you're making? Let me make this really personal for me, right? You reap in your marriage. What you reap in your marriage is a reflection of what you see in your spouse. I learned this from a guy who's much wiser than me, who's much older than me, who's been married for a lot longer than me. Right? I remember him looking me in the eyes and saying, you will end up reaping in your marriage a reflection of what you see in your spouse. It's true for your marriage. It's true for other relationships too. You will reap in your kids a reflection of what you see in your kids. That's why it's so important to have a heavenly perspective. So, so when you see, you know, I'll give you another. This is another piece of advice I was given. Always avoid absolute words. Always, never, fat. You always, you never, you fat. Avoid those three phrases. Because what you see is what you say, and what you say is what you sow, and what you sow is what you reap. You know, dinner's always burnt, and the house is always untidy, and the kids are always running amok. If that's what you say, it's amazing that that's what you begin to be able to see. It's what you begin to sow. It's what you begin to reap. A couple of weeks ago, Jonathan had his... Um, conscious of Johnny's in this service. Johnny had his parent-teacher interview. So we're talking to the teacher, and... She gave a really glowing remark of Jonathan and, and different things that he was doing. And uh, she made this connection. She said he, his reading has really improved. And I said to her, is there, is there anything we could do to be able to help with that? And uh, that's been something that he's been working on and has done really well at. And she made this comment. She said, what's really important now, he's grasped those sort of fundamental things and sight words and sentence structure and those sorts of things. What's really important for him now is that he sees himself as a reader. Because that's where the improvement will come. It's actually not in the technique. It's actually seeing himself as a reader. I thought that's really interesting. So, so then later over dinner, we were letting him know about what the teacher had said and the good things that she'd encouraged him with and his interaction in the classroom, whatever. And, and then we shared with him that, that your teacher and, and, and we as well have seen your improvements in your reading. You're a really great reader. We would have emphasized it a few times over the dinner conversation. You're a really great reader. Your reading has so improved. You're, you're an amazing reader. Well, the interesting thing has been for the last couple of weeks, every time there's anything to read, Jonathan wants to read it. We're on a camping trip. He's reading every National Park sign on the way into the camping trip. Hey, Dad, I can read that. He, he, um, a couple of nights later, we got home, and he has some books that are beside his bedside table. And he's had little comic books and stuff like that, cat, um, 
uh, Catboy and stuff, and stuff like that, Dogman and some comic books and whatever. And, um, and, and, but we thought we'd put a, a bigger book there, now a chapter book. Well, we sort of leave him to go to bed, and that could mean that he's probably playing in his room. We come past, Elise and I, and he's reading a book. He's never done that, right? That's a bit of a struggle to say, all right, we're going to read a book, we're going to try and do this. You read a page, I'll read a page. Now, unprompted, he's reading a book on his own. The difference was, right, and this is two weeks old, right, this could fall over, right, this is two weeks old, but it was enough to make an impression on us. The real difference was Jonathan seeing himself as a reader. What you see is what you say, and what you say is what you sow, and what you sow is what you reap. With your kids, this is true. Did you begin to call out the gift of God that's in them? One of the things Elise has done is she's got a little book for Jonathan and for Sophie, and it's a, like a little prophetic journal that every time she feels like God speaks to her or I about the kids, we write it down. And at some point for an 18th or a 21st or something like that, we're going to give them that book of just all the things we ever felt God speak to us about, the gifts that were on their life, that we have since Jonathan was very little, had a piano. And part of the reason for that is because Elise felt really prompted one day to actually there'll be a musical gift on Jonathan's life. All of his cousins always wanted to be able to play sport, but he sort of always gravitated to wanting to be able to play musical instruments. So he thought, well, maybe that's a gift that's on his life. Let's begin to develop that and call that out. And so when he went out and played soccer and he was made the goalie and he hated playing soccer, but his cousins loved it, we, we could either look at the fact that he didn't really like playing soccer and wasn't very good at that, or we could call out the gift of God that was on his life because there was a gift when it came to music, Right? You can begin to call out these things because what you see is what you say and what you say is what you sow and what you sow is what you reap. But with Sophie, the same thing's true, right? You can begin to call out and begin to speak the perspective of heaven over your kids and begin to call those things out. How many people know, though, when you've got little kids, there's like the gift of God on them and then there's like the terror of hell as well. It's both of those things. It's not like you're ignorant of the other. It's just you're trying to call out the one, right? Whilst discouraging the other. It's amazing how your perspective plays a huge part in that. And so I want to encourage us this morning, what's your perspective? What's your perspective on your future? What's your perspective on the opportunities that are in front of you right now? What's your perspective on, on, on your own marriage? What's your perspective on those different areas of your life. And I don't even need to mention them because I'm hoping that even as I'm sharing, the Holy Spirit's beginning to speak to your own heart because you're already thinking of an area where you've got a perspective, but you need God to begin to lift your head and begin to see it in a new light. You need to begin to see it the way that God sees it. What's amazing to me for the servant in Elisha's house is that you would have expected that Elisha's servant, of all people, would have had a heavenly perspective. I mean, he's living in the prophet's house, right? He's going to church every day. He's reading the Torah lots of times, right? Like, like he's around the prophet all the time. You would have expected him to have a different perspective. But this can be true for you and I as well, right? That, that, that just because we've been a Christian for a little while doesn't automatically default to us having a heavenly perspective. Maybe, that's, maybe it's more true for you than it is for me. 
for me, I've always found that my default position is to actually begin to go back to an old way of thinking, an old way of doing things. I need God to help me, to remind me, to begin to see the way that he does. That, that, that in our default setting, we sort of immediately jump to fear. We've got to be reminded again to look to faith. That, that, that actually what we need is to have a heavenly perspective. And so would you stand to your feet this morning? I'd love to pray for us as we... I want to encourage you this morning not to have a look, but to begin to see. Isn't that what J. Oswald Sanders said? He said, eyes that look, they're common, but eyes that see, they're rare. What an amazing thing it would be to have a church, be a group of people who didn't just look, but we were able to see. We are able to see what God's doing. That we wouldn't just be those that have a look, we begin to see with a heavenly perspective. That we begin to see with a prophetic perspective of our own lives, of the opportunities that God has, of our own families, of, of the children that are running around in our kids' ministry right now. That we begin to see them the way that God does. And so just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask even right now that God, you would begin to move in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, where there is past experiences or maybe even past offenses or, God, things that are obscuring our vision or blinding our vision or coloring our vision, God, I, I pray that those things like scales would fall from our eyes and that, God, we would begin to see. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to be able to see from your point of view. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for people. That, Lord, even as we, we drop kids off to school this week, that, God, we wouldn't be able to walk past people the same way that we usually do. That, God, our hearts would break for the plight of people who don't know your grace and your love the same way that we have. That, God, I pray even this week, even as we're over lunch, God, that you'd help us to have a heavenly perspective of our own families and those relationships that you've put into our life. God, of our children and of our spouse, God, I pray you'd help us to be able to do that. God, I pray that you would cause us to be a prophetic people. God, a people who begin to see with an eye of faith, who begin to see what you can see. Lord, even for this church, that God, we wouldn't come and just have a look, but God, we begin to see, God, all that you intend for this place. It's in its infancy. It's so early. But God, what you could do, God, that we would begin to see it, Lord, with a heavenly perspective. God, I pray, Lord, for this whole place. God, for all of Meriden Plains and God, for Caloundra. God, that you would help us to be able to see this place, Lord, the way that you do. God, a heavenly perspective. God, a heavenly perspective of Meriden State College and a heavenly perspective, God, of the schools that are around about here. That, God, we look to the future and, God, we prophesy that there would be a day on the USC University campus where it's easier to live for Jesus than it is to live for the devil. God, where in high schools we would see revival amongst young people, where there would be bold young people who declare your truth, Lord, in their generation. God, young people who pray for their parents. God, young people who lay hands on the sick and see them recover. God, we want to see what you can see. God, we don't want to be people who just have a look. God, we want to be the kind of people who can see what you can see. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today. And God, even this week, God, you begin to adjust our perspective 
God, you begin to put into focus, Lord, what you can see. That like the servant, when he opened his eyes a second time, all of a sudden his perspective was shifted. He could see the army of God standing there. God, help us to see those fiery chariots. God, help us to see you moving by your spirit. God, help us to begin to see what you can see. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.